0: There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome Welcome to to Twisted Twisted Philly. Philly.
1: Hey, Twisters! What up? Welcome back to another episode of Twisted Philly. This week we have a very special guest joining us on the show, and this guest gets my soul what up for this episode. A huge Twisted Philly what up goes out to Irene Levy Baker, the author of One Hundred Things to Do in Philadelphia Before You Die. I had the pleasure of meeting Irene last week. We met at an office building that I thought would be nice and quiet and perfectly conducive for she and I to have a conversation. Unbeknownst to me, when we got to the space, although it looked empty, it was not. And so throughout this episode, you're gonna hear a little bit of the background noise that Irene and I had to struggle through while we were chatting. I follow Irene on Twitter, and I follow her book on Twitter too. So I knew what she looked like, and I was keeping an eye out for her a few minutes before our scheduled time to meet. In walks this beautiful, spunky, spunky, Bitfire woman, and I knew instantly that it was Irene. Irene and I spent a little bit of time just chatting and getting to know each other first. I didn't want this to be some formal stuffy interview. I wanted her to be comfortable with me, and she was so sweet. She asked me a number of questions about Twisted Philly, why did I start this show, and what some of the content is, and why I am so interested in things that are twisted. And it was a really fun conversation. And God bless her heart, she initially asked, did I want to focus on some of the more spooky or creepy aspects of events or activities or locations in her book? And I wanted her to know, not only does Twisted Philly cover more than just that, but as you guys know, I'm interested in so many other things than just the twisted and the macabre. There's so much about this city besides the odd and the strange. And, okay, you know, so we don't so I, have to focus on creepy. Yeah, no, clean. I don't okay. want to just focus I'm on creepy. I'm not as fixated on creepy as you are. <laughs> <laughs> One of my first questions for Irene was just, how did you get here? And what do you think of our city? I am sitting here with Irene Levy Baker, who is the author of 100 Things to Do in Philadelphia Before You Die. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And you are not a Philly native. I'm not. People are surprised to hear that, that I'm a Philadelphian by choice, not by birth. A Philadelphian by choice. If I didn't already love Irene within the first 20 minutes of meeting her, I was hooked after hearing that. I moved
0: here in 1991 after living in Ohio, Michigan, North Carolina, Virginia, Pittsburgh been here. I've been in Philadelphia for about 25 years. I started working for the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau.
1: Irene spent about 10 years working for the Pennsylvania Convention and Visitors Bureau. And that's before she opened her own public relations firm, Spotlight Public Relations. One of the things that surprised me a little bit when I was reading about her background here in Philly, is that while giving tours to travel writers in the city of Philadelphia, she discovered these were a pretty hard group of people to impress. Well, travel writers are so jaded because every city they go to, the, the Convention
0: Visitors Bureau is trying to impress them. Okay. So you have to work really hard to stand out. So I paid attention to what delighted them and what surprised them. And for about 10 years, that was my job, giving tours to travel writers. Um, and then since then, I've for the last 16 years, I've done PR for the restaurant and hospitality industry. So that gave me a behind-the-scenes look of how restaurants operate, how tourist attractions and hotels operate. So that's some of the tips in the book, things I've learned doing that. What was your first impression about Philly? I loved Philadelphia almost from the get-go. I loved the energy in the city. I just fell in love and it's just gotten better and better and better.
1: I've said this a few times already, but you're going to hear me say it again throughout my conversation with Irene. If I didn't know she wasn't a Philly native, I wouldn't believe that she wasn't. I wouldn't believe that she hasn't spent her entire life in this city. And certainly 25 years, like I mentioned earlier, is enough to make someone an honorary city native. But sitting with Irene, the level of enthusiasm and passion that she has for the city of brotherly love exudes from every fiber of her being. And I, I can see it all over your face, like just the, the love and the enthusiasm. As a Philly native, it, you know when I found your book, it's like you aren't from here, but you are so ingrained in this city. And I can feel the passion through the book that you have for so many things about this city.
0: Well, I think it's funny because me- most of my friends are Philly natives. Okay. And they call me to ask me where to go. Where should I take my mother-in-law or my 17-year-old niece is coming to town? Where should I take her?
1: When you pick up a copy of Irene's book, 100 Things to Do in Philadelphia Before You Die, you're going to realize that this is not just a book for tourists. The book tells you that, right? So on the back cover, the synopsis of the book clearly states this is definitely for visitors, but it's also for die-hard locals. I went into the book expecting to know pretty much everything that was going to be in it. And shame on me because I didn't. Not only were there places that I knew of but was not as familiar with, there were also so many hidden gems that I didn't even realize existed in Philadelphia.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that, and I hope that means you're making plans to go to the top of City Hall.
1: I am. I am <laughs> embarrassed because my podcast logo for Twisted Philly is City Hall, because it's my most favorite building in the city. And until I read Irene's book, I did not know that I could get on an elevator and go up to William Penn's feet. Um. Yeah, Twisters. I'm definitely embarrassed over that one. So City Hall is my logo. It's a photo I took of the building that I then edited like mad to make it look the way I wanted it to look. I knew you could tour City Hall, but I never knew I could actually go up to almost the very top of the building. The elevator takes you up to sort of the base of the William Penn statue. I didn't know that about my most favorite building in the city until I got a copy of Irene's book. I am ashamed, and she was adamant about making sure I get there quickly and remedy that situation. I wanted to know what pushed Irene to write this book. When did she get bitten by the writing bug? And how did she decide what restaurants and museums and concert halls and shopping locations to put in there? Because Lord knows it could have probably been a thousand things to do in Philadelphia before you die.
0: Well, it was, it's an interesting story. So after all these years in the hospitality industry, the publisher actually approached me about writing the book. It's part of a national series. And this is about oh, 40 the national series. Um, when I found that out, when I found out that Little Rock, Arkansas came before Philadelphia, what? and Cleveland came before Philadelphia, I gave him a very hard time. But he hired me anyway, <laughs> and then I started writing. And I will tell you that the very hardest part was um, limiting it to 100. If it had been 1,000 things, that would have been so much easier. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, I woke up in the middle of the night and, like, sat up and said, how could Metropolitan Bakery not be in the book? But if I put Metropolitan Bakery in, something else has to come out.
1: One of the elements about Irene's book that makes it so terrific, besides all of the unbelievable suggestions and tips and recommendations, is the way the book is presented. It's so easy to navigate, and it's really smart. Depending on what your interests are, Irene's made it really easy for you to figure out, where do I want to go? Where do I want to eat? What do I want to go see? And... How close are these activities to one another?
0: Well, that's great to hear. So there are five sections. There's food and drink, music and entertainment, sports and recreation, culture and history, and shopping and fashion. Not surprisingly for Philadelphia, culture and history is the longest. Food and drink is the second longest. And each of those sections and all the sections could have been much longer.
1: Philadelphia is a mecca for foodies from... Incredibly popular, trendy, five-star, famous chef restaurants to some of what I prefer, which are more of the mom and pop, little lesser-known joints. Sometimes they're dives, but the food is phenomenal. There's beer gardens that pop up during the fall and the summer. Like Philly's, just an amazing place for food and drink. So that was one of the categories I wanted to start with. The first place that I had to talk to Irene about was Barbuzo's. So I have to ask you: You have the budino.
0: Oh, my favorite dessert.
1: Okay, I can't pronounce it, but I eat it. You did pronounce it. <laughs> so we're talking about a restaurant called Barbuzo. Barbuzo, thank you. We're talking about Barbuzo. This insane—I don't know—is it like a creme brulee, or
0: it's like a caramel uh, pudding, graham cracker, chocolate, like everything good you can yeah. find inside a half mason jar and you just have to brace yourself to stop yourself from licking out the last parts
1: it's unbelievable yeah
0: it is unbelievable
1: they released a dessert this fall i don't know if you saw I it I waited
0: in line 45 minutes you to did. get one. Oh my god did. how did i
1: know you did oh I my did. god so this was the creffin yes that was filled with the salted caramel pudding from the budino now
0: which did you like better
1: well, I didn't get down there. Oh. We had plans to go down. My daughter was all geared up for it. She was so excited and she got sick and I'm like, I can't leave a sick kid at home just to go get You're a dessert. You're a good mom. You're a good mom. <laughs> so you had the salted caramel cruffin. Yes. It was like,
0: a, I guess, a profiterole on the outside. Okay. I have to tell you and you'll be relieved to know, it was very good, but I still like the putting texture in the half-mason jar better.
1: Okay.
0: And I'm going to tell you something else. They do them takeout. So you can stop in and get them to go. So you can take one home to your daughter.
1: So, yeah, Irene and I just had a moment over dessert. The budino from Barbuzo's. I will be posting links to the restaurant and to that amazing dessert as well as pictures of the budino cruffin that I never got. But yeah, two chicks sitting around talking about dessert. One of the things that was surprising to me in the section about food and drink was I didn't realize that we have some restaurants here that are operated by Top Chef winners That's from right. the Bravo series. Yes. So tell me a little bit about those.
0: Well, Nick Elmy,
1: who won Top Chef,
0: he was at Lebec Femme before it closed. Okay. Uh, Then he went on to Rittenhouse Tavern in the Art Alliance building, and now he has his own place called Laurel in um, South Philly. And he just opened a bar next door called ITV. He's a really great guy, a young guy, very talented. And one of the things I share in the the book is tips on how to get reservations at Philadelphia's trendiest restaurants, like Laurel. You can go on open table, and there's nothing between, say, 5 and 9. And that doesn't mean you can't eat there. There are lots of ways to get reservations at restaurants that seem impossible to get reservations at.
1: So what do you do? All
0: right, I'll give you one tip. Okay. Okay, I'll give you two tips. One is that when you go on Open Table, restaurants pay for the use of Open Table for every Mm -hmm. reservation that comes in. So they don't put every dining slot on Open Table. They know that they're going to fill up on a Saturday night between 6 and 8. Sure. So a lot of restaurants don't even make those available on Open Table. So if it's not available when you want it on a Saturday night, call. The other thing is lots of chefs will post on, t- follow them on Twitter and Facebook, the chef and the restaurant.
1: Okay. Because when
0: they have a cancellation or if they have an opening that wasn't taken, the first thing they'll do is post it. And if you jump on that, oh, you can Oh, that's so smart. That's so smart. So simple. So simple. I hate to like tell people because now I'll never get reservations.
1: So anybody that's coming into Philly or if you live in Philly and you want to get reservations at Laurel, Irene told you how to do it. So, I don't want to hear any complaints if somebody can't get a reservation. So that's another huge what up to Irene. She just gave us two really simple ways to get reservations at restaurants that are really tough to get a table and it makes sense. I don't know why I never thought of it. Maybe you guys thought of it. And that's what's so great about this book. So The way the book is set up, and not just in the section about food and drink, but every section, each individual page is a restaurant or a museum or a store or a park or a place to visit. And there's tips on every page about the best way to have the best experience wherever you're checking out. Now, as you all can probably guess, my favorite section of Irene's book is the history and culture section. You know I am an absolute freak when it comes to Philadelphia history, especially twisted history. But I had to admit there was at least one more spot that I didn't know about. I did not know we had a Ben Franklin museum. Really? I did not know that.
0: All right, so that's second on your agenda. Yeah. So we've got the next two weekends booked for you. (laughs) We do,
1: we do. So when's the last time that you've been there? What do you like about that?
0: You know what? It really brings home the history in a way that, fa- like, families and kids can understand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hands-on. It's fun. Um, I think it just makes it more palatable. You know, more interesting.
1: Yeah, I've been to his tombstone in Christchurch, um, which you know the, everybody has the tradition of throwing the pennies, and now it's starting to cause an issue <laughs> with the with the face of his stone. But I, I think that's one of the things that appealed to me so much about your book is that. You think about philly and you think about history and of course you think of independence hall and the liberty bell and you of course mention those but you go so much deeper and you go to places that as a philly native i hadn't even considered for kids that don't
0: love history as much as you do that you have to drag the liberty bell or the chinese friendship gate um i do have a suggestion for how to get them to do that in a more willing manner and that is if you take them to franklin square which is one of the four original squares, Mm -hmm. Um, there is a mini golf there. And all the things that you play, um, play around. There aren't sand traps and streams. They are Philadelphia icons. Mm -hmm. So there's a mini Alfred's Alley, a mini love statue, a mini uh, Philadelphia Museum of Art Rocky Steps. And you putt-putt around them. So any kid who's ever been to the Jersey Shore who loves mini golf is going to love this. But there's go one more step. Have your kid take a picture of themselves in front of all of these things. And then you'll be surprised how excited they are to go to the real ones and take a second picture. Oh,
1: that's brilliant. So take
0: a picture in front of the Chinese friendship gate. And then have them take a picture of themselves in front of the real Chinese friendship gate. Well, I like it because it's a full day or many days. It's like a scavenger hunt away. And it's really good for little kids and even teenagers because you know they'd rather be with their phone than with you.
1: What Irene just shared with us is probably the best idea I've ever heard about a way to get kids excited about history, especially Philadelphia history. We've talked about Franklin Square before. It was one of the locations I brought up in the Christmas episode about the best places to go in Philly for lights and family events. And we also talked about the mini golf course during the Halloween episode. Whether you're local to Philly or you're coming in to visit with kids, her suggestion is brilliant. To go play mini golf with structures and representations of real Philadelphia icons and historical locations, take their picture, and then take them to see the real ones? I can't even imagine how amazing of a day that would be for not just little ones, but I think my daughter and I are probably going to go do that. One of my favorite pages in the book is Broad Street. Yeah, just Broad Street. And the Avenue of the Arts. And when Irene and I were chatting, I think what I said to her was, you just get it. There is something about that street with the Arts Bank and so many theaters, plus the Urban League and the old Ritz-Carlton building and the views of City Hall that is the essence of Philadelphia.
0: You'll notice on the front cover, the picture is South Broad Street, standing, looking north at City Hall. Yeah. Which is pretty much my favorite view of Philadelphia. And I, when it's lit up at night, and I have to say, if I'm ever hit by a car, it will be on South Broad Street because I'm looking up at City Hall and a car comes right up at me and crashes into me.
1: The theater and music scene in Philadelphia is just phenomenal. Sure, we get touring companies of Broadway shows, we get major concerts and musicians coming to the big venues. But I really wanted to know what it was that appealed to Irene about the music scene here in Philly, especially because she's always looking for something that's a little out of the ordinary and incredibly special.
0: Um, one of the things I researched for the book was bars. I'm not a drinker, so I rarely go to bars. So I talked to people that know a lot more about that than I do and got a list So of places that I should consider. And I didn't feel like I could include them in the book without testing them out. So every night my husband comes home and he says, what, should we, what are we doing tonight? And I used to give him like one thing to do. Now I'll give him three things. I'll say, okay, well, this restaurant just opened. There's free yoga at the Dilworth, at Dilworth Plaza, mm-hmm. and there's a concert at the Kimmel Center. Which one do you want to do? So one night he came home, and he said to me, what are we doing tonight? And I said, we're going bar hopping. And he's like, no, really. I'm like, really, <laughs> we're going bar hopping. So we spent several weeks going to three bars a night, trying out all these bars, and the one thing I discovered that I never had done before was jazz bars. Great places like Chris's Jazz Cafe, mm-hmm. which is so small that you're, you have dinner and you're up close and personal with the musicians.
1: It's fabulous.
0: South on North Broad Street, ironically, um, has upscale southern cuisine, a great atmosphere, great music. Um, and the Bynum Brothers, who own it, have another um, jazz bar called Warm Daddies on Columbus Boulevard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then there's a little dive on South Street called called Bob and Barbara's.
1: I've never been there.
0: Well, they um, have a citywide special, which is PBR, and a shot of Jim Beam. And they have musicians playing jazz, and the musicians must be, oh, 150 years old. Some of these live music places were new to me and Mm -hmm. exciting, and now I get it. Now I frequent these places.
1: I'm a big fan of the jazz music scene, too, and I had an opportunity to share with Irene something that she didn't know, and that was to tell her about the Oren Evans Trio, which is a phenomenal jazz group. Oren is an incredible jazz performer, songwriter. They play not only in Philly, but in New York City, as well as internationally. Now, there's another spot that is a favorite of Irene's that she and I had been talking about a little bit in email before we met, and that's McGillin's Old Ale House.
0: There's another bar I really like called McGillen's Old Ale House.
1: Yes, and you, so you had emailed me a bit about that. So M- let's talk about McGillen's.
0: McGillin's is the oldest continuously operating tavern in Philadelphia, and one of the oldest in the country. It opened in uh, 1860, which is the year Abe Lincoln was elected president. Oh. Ma and Pa McGillin, two Irish immigrants, ran it. They raised their 13 children upstairs. When Pa died, Ma continued to run it by herself, and she was tough. She had a list of people that weren't allowed in, including her own father. She ran it through Prohibition by serving uh, tea upstairs and survived Prohibition. Eventually, in her 90s, uh, she ran it—you know—she ran it by herself. When she died, her daughter Mercedes sold it to two brothers, the Spaniak brothers. They ran it, and eventually, they sold it to their daughter and son-in-law, who still run it today with their son. So, in 157 years, it's been in two families. If you go today, there's a lot of Philadelphia history on the walls. Um, Old signs from Philadelphia icons like Strawbridge's, Lit Brothers, LeBeck Finn. It's a really special place. They have great uh, comfort food, Mm -hmm. including, here's your tip, each thing on the book comes with a tip, free soup at lunch. And I have to say the age of the patron gets younger as the night gets older.
1: Oh, okay. A lot of
0: business people during the day gets a lot younger late at night.
1: Okay. I have a question for you, though, about that. I've heard that it is haunted.
0: Well, you know.
1: Or rumored to be haunted. The, the New
0: Jersey Paranormal Society actually spent the night in McGillin's, and they got a picture of a lady in white reflected in the mirror. Um, the folks at McGillin's do have a picture of that. My theory, unsubstantiated, <laughs> is that it's Mama Gillin, because, I mean, how upset would you be if your husband went and died
1: and left you with 13 kids in a bar to run? I can't even imagine that. So, I,
0: that's, I mean, that's, you
1: know, She's got a thought. little bit of a grudge. Yeah, I would think. <laughs> Either that or she's also hanging around to make sure that everybody's running the place the no, way that, that she thinks it should be run. That would be a nicer way to look at it. <laughs> I think it's pretty easy to tell that I was having a ball talking to Irene. She is such an engaging, fun, and curious person to talk with that you can't help but find her curiosity and enthusiasm to be infectious. I loved talking to her about McGillan's and I wanted to make sure we got a chance to spend a little bit more time about the book's overall contents and not just some of my favorites. When Irene sat down with me, um, I thought she was going to think I was a little crazy because my book was filled with post-its. I had post-its on the pages of my favorite Philly spots, but then I also had post-its on the pages of places that I didn't know about or wanted to get more information.
0: Each of the books in the, in the 100 Things series is set up with by the same formula. Okay. And what people tell me is they like to go page by page and cross out the things they've done and circle the things they haven't done and then make plans to do them.
1: So there are five sections in the book. Each page is dedicated to one Philly hotspot, whether it's a restaurant, a museum, a sporting arena or even something like running up the steps at the art museum like Rocky did. On each page is a special tip about how to get the most out of that particular spot. But what I really love about the book are that every few pages, there's a section where Irene just goes deeper. For example, she mentions a few of the Philly outdoor art sculptures, and then there's a few pages that really take you through each and every one of them, and how you can stroll past them, where they're located. And we had a really good time talking about that section of the book.
0: One thing I like about the clothespin is it looks really mundane. Um, it's at 15th and Market, by the way. And, but there's a reason why Klaus Oldenburg made a clothespin for Philadelphia. There are several reasons, actually. One is because if you look at the clothespin's um, profile, it really looks like two people kissing and it's just a block from the love statue the other reason is if you look at the clip on the clothespin the metal clip it looks very much like the number 76 which of course is a very important number in philadelphia so it's not just a clothespin there's a hidden message there and i love that the book includes tried and true attractions as well as hidden gems and tips as we talked about so I feel like it works for newcomers, but also for long, you know, native Philadelphians like you, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, anyone who, like, doesn't want to spend their weekends doing laundry and grocery shopping, but really wants to have more fun. Some of these things, you know, take a couple hours, like the Mütter Museum, and some of them, like, are just 10 minutes, like a visit to where you can get the best ice cream, or where you can get a PB&J milkshake. So yeah, there are, there are itineraries in the back, so for your friends, there are itineraries for... Families with young children, families with teenagers, empty nesters, dating, by season, things that are free. That should make it easy for people to pick up the book and figure out where to start, and I hope they
1: will. So where can folks get your book?
0: Okay, so the book is available on my website, 100thingstodoinphiladelphia.com. If you say you heard about it on Twisted Philly, there's a place to put a note. Um, I will sign it for you before I send it out.
1: Yeah, you heard Irene right. If you order the book on her website, 100thingstodoinphiladelphia.com, there's a place where you can put a note. And in that note, you wanna write, I heard about your book on Twisted Philly. Irene will autograph the book for you before she sends it out. So instead of shopping at Barnes and Noble or another retailer, shop online on Irene's website. Again, that's 100thingstodoinphiladelphia.com And instead of buying a regular old version at a bookstore, you're gonna get an autographed copy. That's an incredibly generous, kind offer for her to make for all of the Twisted Philly listeners. I know I could have spent even more time with Irene talking about her favorite spots in Philly as well as the book, 100 Things to Do in Philadelphia Before You Die. But we couldn't cover everything in the book because we want you to get out and get a copy for yourself. If you're local to Philly or the tri-state area, trust me when I tell you this is a great book for Philly natives. And if you're not from Philadelphia, but you are a Twisted Philly listener and you would love to learn more about our beautiful city of brotherly love, then jump online to Irene's website at 100thingstodoinphiladelphia.com and make sure you order a copy of her book. You can also follow her on Twitter at 100Philly, I want to offer a huge thank you to Irene Levy Baker for spending so much time with me this week. It was an absolute pleasure to sit down with her to get her perspective on the city and get to know her a little bit. That's it from me. Ciao for now, Twisters.